three, two, one, and one, two, three. Mr. Andrew Lotioner, how the hell are you? I'm doing all right, man. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Good, good, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm glad you're here. Uh, congratulations are in order, even though I've already told you, but I got to say it up here. So, <laughs> Thank uh, you. yeah. So, uh, have you guys set a date yet, or no, no? And if it were going to be, I would like May because I think spring would be cool, right? But I work in the wedding industry, and every wedding ever that was supposed to happen this year is now happening in May of next year. So that's going to be a nightmare for everyone, including us. So probably sometime next year, ideally, we'll find a way to cram it in there. But uh, I did a uh, before I c came back from uh, Atlanta when I was still in Atlanta. Uh, in other words, um, I worked for a uh, a wedding event uh, agency. So basically, what I did was set up and take down. You know, set up the the uh, the fellowship hall, if you will, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, when COVID hit. It was the end of it. So now I'm yeah. pretty sure they're having the same problem that unless they're just doing mask ceremonies and stuff, this was like high end weddings. I'm talking about like, we had some rich Russian Jews in there, man. Cause, and I didn't know, I didn't know what they were. So they had this girl in a chair and they were like hoisting her up. And I was like, this music, this music is weird because it sounds Russian, but it also sounds like they're speaking Hebrew, a guy went by, he was like, it's because they're Russian Jews, dude. I'm like, they're, they're what? You know? That's a thing. And uh, I was like, is, is, that a, is that a new thing, like a new concept or something? But yeah, and people would just get slosh drunk and they would spill stuff and they would break glasses and whatnot. But yeah, anyway, I think they, uh, uh, after I left, her, the guy that was my, I guess you could say supervisor, his sister, believe it or not, is actually one of my best friends. She lives in Atlanta. And she's a far left feminist. I kid you not. And she's one of my best friends. Yeah, we, don't talk, we don't talk politics. We yeah, talk everything you. else, you know? And uh, so she told me, she was like, yeah, Sean's just not, not in a good way right now. Because he, he was thinking about leaving the company anyway because it was just, I don't know, it was just too much micromanagement and all this kind of crap and getting blamed for stuff he didn't do. And uh, he said, yeah, everything's pretty much shut down because they're not going to have, they're not going to have, they're going to pay, these people pay like 200 grand for a wedding and yep. they're going to have to have all kinds of rules and stuff. They're not going to do it. So I imagine they're in the same boat. So, but I didn't know you worked in the wedding industry. What do you do? I, I deal with menswear side of things, so suits, tuxes, that kind of stuff. So I get to see, it's an interesting case study in psychology, dealing with yeah. prom, dealing with weddings, seeing the dynamics between guys and their soon to be brides and sons and their moms. And it's, Oh man, the shit I've seen. <laughs> you get to see everything before it falls apart. Yeah. Right. Like I, I will book weddings and go like, there is no way this is lasting five years because this woman will not shut up. I had one, one person, they're booking a wedding and I'm talking to the groom and everything I say, she's repeating back to him, but I'm talking to him. I'm literally like, it, it's not like this is a phone conversation or anything like that. Like, he's right there. I'm speaking to him. She repeats everything I say back to him. And he's like, I know he's Hispanic, but I'm pretty sure he's been speaking English from a very early age. He had virtually no accent, all that kind of stuff. So like, it's not even like a language barrier thing. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I'm like, there's no way this is going to last five years. Wow. How'd you get involved in that? It's well, my buddy at college, I needed a job. He was like, Hey, you know, I work here. You want to come join me? And I was like, yeah, I'll, yeah. Well, actually I asked him, I said, do you guys need more people? And he was like, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Problem season is about to come up, so why don't you come join us? And I was like, sure enough. And two years later, they 
just recently promoted me, so I'm now what they call an operations manager. So I can throw that on my resume. Very nice. Bruh, hell <laughs> right. yeah. Man. You, don't, you don't even have to say what you do, man. If you're an exactly. operations manager, say, what do you do? I'm an operations manager. Like, and right, and I, so, so but, but what do you, but of what? Curtains, man. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Anything that follows that is legit. As long yeah. as you're in operations, man. See, I, I was operations supervisor under the operations manager in logistics. Basically what it was, you want to talk about some meaningless shit unless you do own the company. So it was a 75, no, I'm sorry, 175,000 square foot warehouse. And all they did was let people keep their shit there. Yeah. So the freight stayed there and they would house it until they came to pick some stuff up. And they had these, uh, this forklift that was like a, um, you pick up barrels with we had to unload trains we had there was a train it was built next to a train track so the train would come and the train door is right next to our our uh, bay door and you go and you get the, and it's, this forklift is like the optimus prime of forklifts it would pick up these big huge rolls of uh parchment paper like tons because because people don't realize i mean it's a tree it's a tree just chemically enhanced so it's like picking up a giant tree trunk and bring but there was all this stuff and there was all this unused space but it was a dentist that owned the place so he had the money he's like oh, i'm gonna start a warehouse and i was like this is the most meaningless crap and what they would do is they would hire temps and everything was under a time constraint so they would package stuff so stuff would come in the temps would package it and then you'd send it out and uh but i got to tell people i'm an operations supervisor it's like the dumbest most meaningless thing ever but it, it, it was it, it, i don't know it just some titles are pretty cool yeah it's like now now i can tell people so i have i have three endeavors so i'm a i'm soon to be a corporate wellness consultant because i'm moving away from personal training i am a marketing advice digital marketing advisor so that's cryptic as shit people are like ooh, you know and then i am a listing and closing consultant for uh, real estate. So basically what they do is one of my, one of my closest friends, uh, she's in Charlotte. She started this company after the thing happened. So what she does is she's working on a real estate license and wants to start her own brokerage one day. But right now what she does is she, she, when a, when a buyer or seller has the house, I mean, has the contract, there's all this back end work you have to do before you your commission. And even though the agents and the sellers and the buyers and the stuff, they don't want to let go of their money. But once they realize how much, and she's a genius, once they realize how much smoother it is, uh, they don't mind getting rid of a, you know, a, a fraction of a percent of their money. So I consult for her. So when you have these cool ass titles, you don't have to tell anybody what you do. You just say, yeah, I'm, I'm this. Oh, that sounds pretty good. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, so um, man, that was uh, that was way down the damn rabbit hole. How'd you meet yeah, your okay. girlfriend? <laughs> right, let's bring it back three years. All right, so I, we both we're both uh, poor. No, it's not important. We're trying to save money in college, right? So we were like, all right, yeah. we, both, we both ended up making the decision to go to community college. So I went, and then after my first year, she's a year younger than me. So my second year there, it's just a two-year school. So. 
my second year there, she came in and she was part of this kind of new program that they were putting forward, which is this honors college program. And what it was is they were going to take 18 students and those 18 students would take two classes per semester together, all just all that group of them. And um, then, you know, whatever other classes they could just fill in the gaps. So I was part of the honor society. She was part of this new thing. So I was a club rep for that society. And so we had our own special lounge at the top floor of the library, that kind of thing. So we could get away from the plebeians. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I met her there. I met her in that room and we, we hit it off pretty much instantly. So we started talking almost as soon as we met. And then less than a month later, we started dating. And that was back in October, almost three years ago. It was 2017. So it's been a largely smooth relationship for the most part. I mean, you know, you have your ups and downs like everybody does, but for the most mm-hmm. part, it's a phenomenal experience. You, yeah, you, I had, when you know, you know. You know? Exactly. I, I've had friends that – I had uh, two friends. Uh, they're still together. They literally – so when they first met – so he's a Democrat, she's a Republican. Oh, wow. So you can imagine how their first date went. And she just was not having it. She was not about to have it. But, uh, and she, she told him, she said, look, she, she, was, she was transparent as hell. And I got to respect her for this. She said, I'm not going to turn down because if, if, if he makes, he's, he's an actor. If he makes it big as an actor, she doesn't want to spend the rest of her life thinking, shit, I had a shot to be with an actor, you know, <laughs> because, you know, there's all that kind of stuff. And because uh, she was a school teacher and uh, bartender and all this kind of stuff, really uh, just just a just a workhorse of a girl. But she did she did girly endeavors, you know, bartending and you know uh, school teaching and stuff. And uh, so for like the first two years, they got along immaculately. Not the first argument. I was there. Uh, the only argument they had was that first date that went sour. And uh, so the differences aside, she, she's kind of a she's kind of a closer to the middle Republican. He's more of a closer to the middle Democrat now that everything that's been going on, even Democrats are, are like WTF, man. This is yeah. I got to ste- I I take a step to the right, right quick. And uh, I actually heard their first argument, and it was like an asteroid hit Earth because they had never argued before. So when it finally, I think it's more, it's way more healthy if you just go ahead and have a little tiff every day, if you just go ahead and have your disagreement, you, you disagree about it, you laugh and you get on with it. So like, what, what, what is your take on that? How, how do you, what's the dynamic between you guys and what's, what's some of the, what's some of the little things that you guys get into little spats about? Yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll preface it by saying my favorite Ed Lattimore quote, I think ever is the one where he goes, if you haven't fought in the first three years of three months of your relationship, you've passed a really important test. And if you haven't, had any fights and within a year you failed an equally important one. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's, that's spot on. I mean, if you're fighting within the first three months, like you just, it's not good because, you know, in the honeymoon phase, you're getting into fights, like something's just not working. But if you're together a year and that kind of stuff's not happening at all, someone's lying or pretending to be something they're not or pretending yeah. certain things don't bother them that actually do. So right. disagreements, but it's, you know, we're both rational, fairly logical people for the most part. So there's the immediate emotion. And then both of us are usually able to just step back and go like, okay, let's actually hash this out properly now and kind of sort that out. And that happens every few months. It's definitely not an everyday kind of thing, but it's also not like once every two years. So I think it's like the right amount of pressure relief, generally speaking, you know, right 
amount in terms of periods of time with between when they happen and also just how bad it gets. Mm. So it just works out. It's <laughs> like I said, when you know, you know, when you're with someone that just fits you like that, it's really easy to sort through that kind of stuff. And just, yeah. I don't like either one of us likes apologizing for anything. Right. But we do when we have to, and that's kind of how that works. Yeah. Um, and, and she's of, of Mexican heritage and loves America. Right. Yeah, she was born and raised in Mexico. She only okay. came to the States five years ago or so. So she's seen all the shit out there. She's mm -hmm. seen dead bodies. She's seen everything out there. So yeah. there's no illusion of like, oh, America sucks and the rest of the world is great. She's like, I'm here because I'd be dead if I was over there. And so there's obviously a deep level of appreciation. You know, and you, she looks at these entitled American kids and goes like, you don't get, you know, like people who come from communist countries. Mm -hmm. formerly communists and they come here and they don't get why Americans hate it so much here. It's kind of along the same line. Just you appreciate what you have now because you know you didn't have it back then. You know, the amount of opportunity she has here is, is exponentially greater than back there. Exactly. And you're, uh, you're what, 22? I'm going to be 22 the 19th, so two weeks from now. Yeah. And it's uh, a lot of guys your age don't – well, they're being – almost indoctrinated like this whole so this whole red pill thing okay everyone who knows me knows that the rational male changed my life okay i was in a swirling vortex of entropic one-itis i mean and the thing about it is i had to self-diagnose is that the older i get the less capable I am of dealing with loss. I used to think that I was just the type of person who had attachment issues, but it's not attachment issues. I can't deal with the loss of an entire other person who was once there. So, I mean, pets, people, pencils, whatever. If I lose something, it, it affects me really deeply. So when I read The Rational Mail and the thing that was eye-opening was men are logical, women are emotional. If you're a man and you bring emotion into your logic and vice versa, it just fucked up everything. And I'm like, oh, so I'm not supposed to sit here and overthink it and fight back tears and all this kind of crap. I'm supposed to just say it happened, now get over it. And I literally got over it right then. It still kind of pissed me off that this girl was dating me and dating somebody else at the same time. But and telling us both we were just friends, and then she ended up with him. It's just a weird situation. Yeah. So when I picked up, I actually learned about the whole quote unquote red pill movement from Rich Cooper, and then Rich Cooper from him, I was directed to Rollo. So when I read the Rational Mail, you know, it's great. The thing about the red pill is it's something you take and you shut the fuck up. It's not a movement. It doesn't keep going. It's like stoicism. Okay, so you want to be indifferent. Cool. Why do you keep talking about it? Can you just be indifferent and shut the fuck up? That's kind of how <laughs> I feel about the red pill. There's all these new movements and all these new rules. And, and it's like they have to live it out every day, bruh. It's, it's just a mindset. You take that mindset and you get on with your life. Then you got the whole no fap and you got the MGTOW. Let me tell you something. If you're MGTOW and no fap, you better figure out something. Because you can't, <laughs> that's a whole hell of a lot of pressure, man. And you got guys doing semen retention while they're in relationships. Chris DeSico and his wife still have sex every morning. Yeah. You, don't need to, you don't need to hold in your seed when you're with someone. Like, why would you do that? It's like, yeah. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to this, this four-star fancy restaurant and fast. Like, what the fuck? So, like, my thing is, 
how did you they're, – they're not teaching you to be monogamous. They're teaching you to spin plates and all these other kind of things like that. So did you have just really good parents that taught you these things? And did you learn it on your own? Like, how did you wave through these waters of nonsense of promiscuity and whatnot? To get it. So I grew up in a Christian homeschool community, right? So every single person I knew growing up was in a two-parent – grew up in a two-parent household where their parents loved each other and loved them. I'm sure, like I said one time, I mentioned this on uh, Zach Small's podcast a while ago, like I'm sure shit went on behind the scenes that I don't know about. Obviously, every family has that. But for the most part, you know, two-parent families where they actually loved each other. So that was just my example. That was my norm. And it wasn't until I went to college that it really clicked. Like, that's not normal. You know, most half, like half the other kids grow up in a single-parent household. And the other half, their parents hate each other, <laughs> you know? and so. So between that, my parents' own relationship, I mean, my parents just work together really well. And there's no, there's no um, gray area regarding the fact that my dad's the head of the household. And so it's kind of as simple as that. You know, it's a Christian mm-hmm. environment, and it's not a, a weak Christian environment. Mm-hmm. But between that, you know, I think the red pill is, it's, like you said, it's a mindset. It's, it's a realization. It's not a lifestyle, mm-hmm. right? Red pill is a transitory moment where you go, oh, shit, everything I thought I knew was wrong. And therefore, maybe all this, there's all these other things I haven't considered. But it's not really a lifestyle. I mean, there's lifestyle decisions you make based off those realizations. But the red pill itself isn't a lifestyle that you live out. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I ever had to take a red pill all that much. I got my heart broken once. And you know, that kind of that clearly, like, why, why did I allow myself to get put through this, this kind of bullshit? It blew my mind. I was like, looking back on it, especially now with the kind of relationship I have, I'm like, I can't believe I tolerated that crap. For the three months that it went on for, you know, that's mm-hmm. a really short period of time. So, yeah, I had a good environment. Um, I like to think of myself as a largely self-aware person. So I don't think that I had to, you know, beat myself over the head going, oh, my God, I should have realized this and this and that. And I still do have that in some areas where I, want, I can't believe I let this happen. So it's pretty much as simple as that. I think the environment was the key factor. And that's that's pretty much it. I would I would say that's a, that and my personality. I think that's what yeah. I can boil it down to. Yeah, because you're I mean you're pretty ahead of your time because you like you post some really good um, material that uh, it's it's when you post something it's, it's well thought out, you know, um, and it's and it's good that you're that way because I wish like hell I would have known all the crap that I knew now when I was like 18. But then again, I don't think I'd listen because I mean, I really, I didn't, I didn't get enlightened until, until I was 39 really started to get my shit together at 40. Then the whole COVID crisis happened. I lost both my jobs and I thought, you know what? I'm, you can always take ownership. It's imperative that you take ownership. It's not necessarily your fault, but it is your responsibility. And I told myself, you know what? I put myself into this situation. There's two things I think a man should be by the time he's 40. He should be 200 pounds and making six figures. That's what I figured. And by the time I got laid off at 40, I was 185 pounds and at five figures. And I thought to myself, well, I can't really preach about that anymore. It's the reason why I don't, I don't preach about 
hey, stay off the booze. I recommend it, but I've been an alcoholic. So I can't just go out there and tell people that. So now I'm thinking to myself, shit, I had a really good thing going on. When you're 40, you need to be 200 pounds and six figures. Ha ha. Because it's kind of satire and it's kind of not. But I thought about, you know, I had to take ownership for this because I allowed myself to get in the situation. The government can tell me because that's, that's where we're going towards now. They found the thing. They're not going to let the thing go. When I'm 90 and you're 70 and we're in the, the rest home, we're going to still see people walking around wearing masks. It's going to be the same thing because it mutates. I'm doing air quotes for, because this will not be on video um, more than likely, but yeah, it's going to mutate. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. There's, there's been all this kind of stuff because the government wants you dependent on it. So it wants people, it wants socialism. It wants communism. It wants you to be dependent on it, even though it has no desire to help you. And I put myself in that situation. So something that I admire about you and why I had you on is because more guys your age and a little bit younger need to realize these things. So I normally save advice for the end and we're nowhere near the end, but what are some of the things that if you were, a, if you were like a mentor uh, for younger guys and you say, Hey man, look, um, I was, I was fortunate enough to not screw up my entire life. And this is what I would tell you going forward, especially guys who are on that path to making really crappy mistakes and things like that. What are some of the things that you would tell them, especially if they don't have strong fathers, strong family, Christian background, anything like that? I think that's a tough one because the question is how many are going to listen, right? Right. Um, and that's always the joke with the whole, like, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? It's like, like you just said, like, I wouldn't have listened. It's probably the honest answer. But assuming they're going to listen, one of, the, one of the simplest things now, and some people laugh at it, but I think it's legit, is start training martial arts. A new joke. Because, I mean, there's a reason Jocko brings it up all the time. There's a reason. And when I started training, it really clicked for me. I understand why. I always liked fighting as a kid, but when you get properly disciplined, it teaches you indirectly all the things that you should, not all, but most of the things that you should know as a young man. It teaches you, it's hard not to be confident when you know you can beat someone's ass. <laughs> it's as simple as that, you know? And so like, you're not the meekness and the weak, being meek isn't necessarily bad, but the weakness that, that comes with the inability to fight is gone. And the inner confidence just naturally replaces it because now you know. And so that the discipline that comes with that, the community that most MMA gyms have. I mean, I, the one that I go to, everyone talks to everybody. Everyone gives you a fist bump on the way out, even if you don't know the person's name, and even if you've mm -hmm. never met before. So you get all these guys who are just lonely and have, feel no sense of community. Gyms are usually the best place for that, be it the you know, standard lifting weights gym or a martial arts gym. It teaches you that confidence. It teaches you that discipline. It teaches you the self-respect. All the things that school doesn't teach you, is what you'll get in a place where you're learning to beat someone's ass and you're getting yours beaten as well, because you're going to learn humility in the process. Everything, you know, we lament all these things of like, I wish teachers would teach young men to give strong handshakes. You know, I wish that they would teach them that life's not fair. You learn all those things in an MMA gym. You just do. So I think that's the simplest, most clear cut. Here's the one thing. And then you can go down this rabbit hole of, you know, listen to Pat Stedman's dating advice, listen to X persons, you know, listen to Tanner Gozzi's style advice. Like if you really want to fine tune every element of your life, there's no shortage of ways and people to listen to. 
that are going to help you with that. But if I'm going to do like a one size fits all, one solution, it's definitely an MMA gym for sure. I think most of the guys that have taken it and gone through that will agree with me. It's probably a reason Alexander Cortez is out dedicating his life to Muay Thai right now. Yeah, that would be, uh, that would be really something. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a, kind of a scary thing to some people to just up and go but you can't blame people for moving to thailand man because it's yeah. it's actually really gorgeous people get the wrong idea because i was looking up uh, different countries to live in like best countries to live in and vietnam was at the top of the list man yeah it's like you, you think i don't want to go to vietnam and get you know shot at or something but it's not like that it's not like that at all henry rollins himself they asked him what's the most dangerous place you've ever been he said america he said i was in north korea I mean, he had to have, you know, sh uh, chaperones in North Korea and uh, somebody almost doxed him. But he said, still, he said, I've been to Iraq. I've been everywhere in America. I've never felt so unsafe um, like I do in America. You know, his, his best friend got his brains blown out right next to him. And uh, I, mean, I don't know if you know who Henry Rollins is. I'm not sure. Okay, so he was the singer for Black Flag, and he does a lot. He did a lot of stand-up type stuff. He's one of these guys who's just – and he has, he has no fear because of this. Got so it. Henry Rollins wrote uh, something called The Iron. So if you ever get a chance to read that, it's, on, it's online. You can, you can read it. It's about a page. And he talks about it. But he was just this hulk of a man. He's not as big as he was because he's pushing 60, but he's still in great shape, doesn't drink. He said he, he, said he, got, he drank two Michelobes and got sick. He did LSD once. There's a, there's a really cool story on YouTube. Um, they do these things where these, these comedians and people stand up in front and there's people all the way around. And, they, and I think it's called This Didn't Happen or something like that. And it's absolutely hilarious. And he tells a story about how he, this girl got him on LSD and all this kind of shit. And he ate raw meat in the grocery store. And it's, it's, it's crazy. I'll send it to you. But uh, yeah, he, he, um, he was walking down the road and he, there's, he did a stand up where he was talking about this with he and his friend Joe Cole. And, um, and you watch him and he's telling it in third person and he brings it around the first person at the end and, and he's saying stuff and the crowd's laughing and then they realize that he's talking about how his friend was murdered right next to him. Mm. And he said he had to clean the blood up off. I mean, he was, cause you have to imagine you're, you're in a different world at this point. This man's whole entire mind changed. He, he said they were symbiotic. They, they, they had such a bromance, it was ridiculous. And he, the guy just walks right up, and give me your wallet. And I think the guy was getting ready to get him. He shot him anyway, like execution style. Had him get down on their knees. Shot him execution style. Didn't shoot Henry. And then the guy ran off. Henry called the cops. And um, he was so in shock. He's like, I got, I got to check on my friend. I got to check on my friend, Joe Cole, Joe Cole. And the cop was being an asshole and was like calling him sweetie and stuff like this. Like your friend's dead. And it just changed the whole thing. But he says why he doesn't have fear. But he, stood, he said still at the, at the same point, um, America's the most dangerous. And you, I used to think, and he's, he's of course, he's a liberal. And you think to yourself, this is some typ typical liberal rhetoric. And now you look at things going on now and yeah, it's coming full circle and the man wasn't lying. So, I think, know. you know, when, with everything that's going on between COVID and, and riots and shit like that, I think a lot of people are looking and they're like, what's the best thing to do now? 
And I, it looks like everyone in our community, our little corner of Twitter, has kind of come with one of two conclusions. You either get people who go, you know what, fuck this, I'm out, I'm going somewhere else. And so Bobby Dino, you know, bailed out to mm-hmm. Romania, Alexander Cortez in Thailand. I don't blame them. This, this isn't throwing shade at them at all. It's just one of those options. And then the, you get the people who have slightly bigger families and they're like, you know what, I'm just going to raise my kids and hope that I can make a generational impact by just raising my kids right and hopefully that, you know, carries over down time. And so people like Adam Lane Smith, Jeff Putnam, Chris, um, you know, Tanner, those kinds of people are like, I'm not going to leave. So I'm just going to, you know, raise my family best that I can and hope that they can, they can fix things down the line, you know? And I think that both of those are totally valid. And I think that everyone's going to have to make a choice between the two. And I'm leaning towards the latter, but you know, if things get really, really bad. We may not have a choice. I have to bail. Yeah. I mean, there's, it sucks to leave your home. I mean, I don't, I don't care about the government. I don't care about the people per se, complete strangers, but it's like the, the earth itself where this area is, is my home. That's why, I mean, I, I had planned on coming back to North Carolina in August anyway, then I got laid off and came back in June, but I don't, I don't want to start a corporate wellness uh, agency in Thailand. Like, Cause that's the, because where I'm going towards, you don't – the cost of living is so low there that the market I'm going into would put me – it's hard to explain it. Basically, the only way to do it is with Thailand currency. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to – unless I moved to Thailand and just did everything or, or wherever, you know uh, – where's Costa Rica, wherever, uh, Jose Rosado lives in Dominican Republic you know, places like that are really nice. Um, and, but I mean, I could do it all, you know, through zoom and stuff, which a lot of, a lot of coaches are doing that anyway, because yeah. here in North Carolina, the, the gyms are still closed. So the government can shut us down at any point they want. And they, they've proven it. They've, like I said, they've found the thing. It's not going anywhere. And there's really nothing Trump can do because the president doesn't have a whole lot of control over state legislature. That's why we have governors. And then when the cities, the thing, the thing that happened in Atlanta was we, everything shut down. I lost my jobs. Well, the governor stepped in and opened everything up because the governor of Georgia is a Republican. Well, the yeah, Democrat no. mayor wanted to shut down Atlanta. So the Democrat mayor shut down Atlanta. Governor steps up and says, no, I said it's open. So they opened it back up. Well, here in North Carolina, they're just keeping everything closed. Businesses are going, businesses are going bankrupt, but that's what they want. And, and like you said, people are going to either do one of two things. And a lot of people have no choices at this point but to leave because now it's just plain spite and it's personal. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there seems to be a push on both, like, let's get rid of police, but let's also take away your ability to defend yourself. And people go, okay, well, then what am I going to do? You know, I'm fucked. And, you know, there's that whole, I think the Tate brothers talk about it. They're like, at least in a third world country, it's fair because you can bribe your way out of shit. Even if you're, like, somewhat poor, like, you can still bribe your way out of something. Whereas, like, here you have to be incredibly wealthy to pull that shit off. And so, you know, the rules are unequal here in a way that they're not in, in allegedly corrupt countries. I don't know how much truth there is to that, you know, all that, I'll leave it at that, but I can, I can definitely see their point. You know, yeah, I don't, uh, 
they're just not as bad as because Vietnam is not 1960s and 70s Vietnam anymore. No. You know? Thailand, they eat some weird shit, but you don't have to eat the weird shit. You don't have to eat the lizards on a stick. I mean, it's a lizard. It's not, it's not a shoe. I mean, who, who cares, you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you go there, you live cheap. Thailand has beautiful beaches. People go to Thailand all the time. And I'll tell you somewhere else that's really nice that has a low cost of, well, so I live in North Carolina. The cost of living is, is fairly low. So you can get a really decent apartment. You're going to love this. <laughs> Because uh, Harlem used to be one of my stomping grounds back in the late 2000s. Okay. So I, I know what my, what my friends paid for apartments there, right? So here you can get a bomb-ass decent apartment, two-bedroom, two-bath, for about 1300 bucks a month. Yeah. Right? So in Greece, it's about the same. Greece is one of the most beautiful countries on the planet and i was looking at i was actually looking at apartments just to compare just to see and like places to visit because i eventually want to go on a cruise and go there one day if it's possible I'll get on the uh the uss face mask and take a cruise to to greece but um they uh the, the cost of living the apartments are about the same uh, really nice apartments for like 1200 bucks um because if you convert the currency so if you convert the currency uh i don't know what they use uh the Spartacus or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you said something. Uh, the the, the uh, Nemo, Nero, whatever his name is. Nemo's the fish. The and uh, and uh, see, so yeah, I was looking at it. I mean, there's, there's plenty of options, man. I mean, even if you want to go to a more expensive place like Serbia with all the hot women and stuff, you, know, you can do something like that or Switzerland or whatever if, if you have the money. But Man, everybody's trying to take their businesses online, and I, I, I spoke too soon, you know, a while back. I was like, well, you know, if everybody has their own business, who's going to work for them? But at this point, it's basically you just need to be a solopreneur. You have no employees, and everybody just do your own thing. You got some yeah. people that will cut grass, and then some people who will be CPAs, you know, whatever. But it's, it's to that point, man. I mean, it's, it's just not going anywhere for a while yeah. at least. No, it's not. Everybody's trying to build out this side hustle. Everyone, I mean, this whole situation revealed to people like, oh, shit, I need, I need to find a different way of making money, right? Yeah. Because your job just cuts you loose no matter how long you've been there, either because they don't give a shit about you, or even if they do, they might not have an option, and then you're stuck. And that's why you get a lot of people joining those, like, you know, people are doing flipping products. You get the people who are doing courses. I got money sitting in Gumroad from affiliations. I'm waiting for my account to get approved. I'm like, come on, guys. <laughs> Uh, it's annoying, but everybody's everybody's kind of doing that that right now, and and good for them. Really, it's it's necessary. You need to find a new way of making money, and I you know I get a little jealous of all the guys that have their business now that have taken off. You know Jeff and all these other people who are doing just fine on their own. I'm like, God damn it! Um, but I'll get there at some point sooner or later, one way or another. Well, the cool thing about it is, is that cause oh, I, was watching, I was watching I was watching Steve Harvey. Okay. And uh, one of his friends growing up, this is a guy, this is a guy who was probably even more ahead of his time than you are. So when they were kids, they wanted to go play and do whatever they wanted to do. Like, hey, whatever his name was, Russell or whatever. It's like, hey, you want to go, we're going to go to the wherever, the, the park after or the, the pool or whatever. He's like, nah, man, I got to cut Miss Johnson's grass. He's like, okay, well, whatever. 
And every time they asked this dude to hang out, he had to go customize grass. And when he was like 12 years old, you know, you know, you know when you ride by like golf courses and stuff, everything's like square and there's designs and shit. This kid was doing this at like 12 years old. Okay. He was born to cut grass. Okay. That was his gift. Okay. I always separate things. So I ha- everybody has a gift, a talent, and a skill. Okay. So my, my gift is coaching. My talent is guitar and singing. And my skill is painting. Um, as in painting things, hanging sheetrock, painting. Uh, I restore furniture on the side, things like that. That's my skill. Okay. But this kid, his gift, his skill, and his talent was cutting grass. That was it. That's what he did. So he now owns a grass cutting business, seven figures. So you take, you got to, you, you cut, you start off by borrowing somebody's lawnmower. You cut a few yards. Now you, now you can buy your own lawnmower. Okay. You ain't got a lawnmower and I got a weed eater. Now you got a trailer. Now you got a truck. Now you got employees. Everything that you do, like me, I could start my own janitorial business right now. I was a uh, commercial janitor for five years mm-hmm. um, in a huge Presbyterian church, okay? And I could take everything that I learned and I could start a janitorial business right now. All of the skills, because what, what people do is, so I was guilty of this too. They get on YouTube. And every single video is the same. How to make seven figures, how to start your own business, all this kind of stuff. They're all the same. And they're all the same in the fact that you need to watch them after you have an idea. And that's the one thing they don't tell you. Well, none of this shit works because all that believe in yourself crap, that's fine and all. They tell you all this stuff and you watch this 10-minute video and you get fuck off from it because you don't have an idea. So you don't know what you're good at yet and that's fine. But once you find it, you scale it. You, you start getting those, like I'm not that great at marketing and sales. So my marketing and sales is in person. My marketing is I'll send an email. Hey, would you like to talk? My sales copy is the one-on-one interview I have with the client or HR or, or whatever. So you ha- I was getting so freaking fed up because it's marketing and sales are academic skills. They are not common sense skills. They are things that you have to learn. Okay. You, I I was getting, I was just getting so frustrated because I was was having a hard time. I'm getting better at writing sales copy because the best way to learn how to write sales copy is to tweet. Hands down. I've got a book about sales copy by the guy, the best copywriter in the world. And he said, he said, Instagram and Twitter, I think he even said Facebook are some of the best practice devices to use for learning how to write copy because you're going to get, you're going to get your engagement. You're going to learn this stuff with guys like you, even you, I mean, operations manager at 22 years old. I don't give a fuck if you're making $5 an hour and living in New York, I don't care. Operations manager. So you don't have a whole lot of people because I wasn't, I was 20, eight in an operations supervisor. So you're higher at 21 than I was at 28. So all you got to do right now is just walk around with BDE and that operations manager title hanging around your neck. And when you're ready, you take every single thing you know about tailoring and and whatever else and and all this kind of stuff. You're like, you're kind of following in the footsteps of, um, Tanner Guzzi. 
So you kind of look at him as an indirect mentor. So I've had my indirect mentors like, so like Hotep Jesus is an indirect and direct mentor of mine because he yeah. and I, he and I talk a lot, but at the same time, like he doesn't, I don't pay him to coach me. In other words, I could, I might in the future, but that's the level he and I are on. Nathan, Steel Jans, he would, he, he's an indirect mentor for me. Before I do anything at all, ever, I go to him and say, Nathan, what do you think about this? He's great. He, yeah, and, and he seems to think I'm great for whatever reason. <laughs> and, he's, and he's always like, you know, this. But he's the one that told me, he said, look. He said, you're not a blogger. Clutch my pearls. And he was like, you're not a blogger. That's not your thing. He said, I'm tickled to death when you write for me. But you're not a blogger. This is what your coach. This is what you do. So what you have to do is when you figure out, I spent 21 years, another Steve Harvey thing. Stop trying to do all the stuff you ain't good at, all right? If you don't know how to work on cars, just because you know a guy who's a mechanic and makes six figures and owns his own thing, doesn't mean you run out, buy a book on how to, how to fix vehicles and, and, and do a course and enroll yourself in mechanic school, get a lease on a, on a garage and all this kind of shit. That's, that's the thing that I teach people now. So with guys like you, and you can, and I can tell because I, I, it's, it's like a, a masculine thing between two guys. I can tell that you're like, man, I don't even know, I don't even know what I'm, I get kind of jealous about you people starting their own businesses. It's not like you can't, like you just don't know the direction yet, but you're learning all these skills that you need. And being an operations manager at 21 years old, I don't care if it's in a freaking bookstore. That, that's incredible. So now you take that and you scale it and you pick this stuff you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, I worked in, I worked in a warehouse recently where I learned how to, to ship, to, to, to package and ship. Will I ever need it? Probably for eBay or something. Maybe I'll start an eBay store and I'll say, hey, man, I remember how to ship freight and stuff, man. This is really cool. And I, I, I do furniture restoration. I might want to start shipping that freight sometimes. So I had to learn how to do that. So always carry that with you. But this is your episode. So yeah, you are a good coach. I can tell. This, guy says, <laughs> right. this, is, this is your episode. I just get... The thing about it is what I tell people. It's like, like Nathan warned me about this. He's like, yeah, sometimes you, sometimes you talk too much. The cool thing about it is if I have really great guests and they give me good cues, I go off on tangents. If I yeah. sit here and don't say anything, it's a shitty guess. It ain't my fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can definitely see why you decided that coaching is your calling. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's, that's what you do, man. And I hate that. I hate that. And never, never chase the money, man. Cause that's what I did. I tried to chase the money. You don't make money by chasing money. You make the money by solving problems. People need suits, man. And that suit is going to make them, and this, is, this is their special day, as they say. It's their special oh, yeah. day. And you're, you're providing value and solving problems. That's, that's the thing right there. The money's going to come. So now if you think, hey, uh, I'm making this much. I'm making $2,000 a month. I need to make $4,000. What do I do? Well, it's not sit around and think about $4,000. It's find more problems, new problems, and provide more value. And that's all there is to it. And you're on your way. You just got, you got, a, you got a really good head on your shoulders, man. But the cool thing about it is I don't think, I don't think your thing is so much jealousy. Like you have that jealous feeling, like an envious feeling. I don't think it's so much that because I don't get that vibe from you. What I get from you is that's where you want to be. It's, and and you, you're not like, well, you know what? That guy started a business and I can't do it because he did and I didn't. I quit. That's not, no, that's not, that's not the energy you have, you have about you. I wouldn't even call it jealousy. I'd call it foreshadowing. <laughs> I see your point. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's one of those things, you know, I love seeing people succeed. So when I do, it's never, 
oh, I'm upset that they're succeeding and I'm not. It's just like, oh man, how do I do that? You know, how can I follow? And I think sometimes, you know, I fall in the trap of trying to copy exactly what they're doing and it just doesn't work out because, you know, it's just not meant for me. Yeah, it's not your skill. It's not, not your skill set. Formula. So we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, no, I appreciate that, man. Yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah. you know, look, look at, look at uh, Kyle, like Kyle Moonlight. Like, yeah. his, his story was great. He's like, man, I know I can, I know I can get by on $25 if I have to, you know, because he spent, spent all his money to get his company going. And yeah, I mean, his, his, his products are really good. And he's, um, I think he was kind of getting flustered a little bit and, uh, he doesn't, he, he said he didn't know if he was going to keep it going, but I think he kept it going. Um, so I hope he doesn't quit because he wanted to, he wanted to release a new, a new soap every month. And, uh, I told him I wanted to see a Samson bar cause he's doing soap and, uh, to, to add on to it. I said, I said, I want to see a Samson bar. He said, you got it. So I hope I at least get my Samson bar <laughs> before, before everything, you know, goes, goes awry. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, and you fail, you're going to fail. That's what I tell people. And I'm the worst. I'm the worst for this kind of stuff. I mean, cause, because clinical depression is a bitch, but a lot of times what I tweet, man, 90, 99% of what I tweet is for me. It's, yeah, it's me it. talking to myself and if other people get it, because I want to know that I'm giving myself the right advice because I can learn from other people. Like I've been talking to, uh, I've been talking to John Haskins yeah. and I mean, legit dude, I would go to that dude any day of the week if I need to talk about something any day of the week. And he's, yeah, been his mentor. <laughs> yeah, he's what, 20 years old, 21, something like that. I mean, I'm like, I can learn from anybody. I've learned from like three-year-olds, three-year-olds like say some shit and then just walk off like that Iron Man scene where he blows it up and walks off and explosion <laughs> goes, you know, that's yeah. how kids do. But, but yeah, I, I, I see you doing big things because you're not an idiot. I appreciate that. Yeah. John Haskins and I have been uh, buddies long before Twitter. We both wrote for the same website. I saw him doing it. I was like, I think if the guy's letting someone younger than me write on his website, I think I could do that. So that ended up happening. He and I used to call on the phone every week, a couple of years back. I mean, it's been a long time. And then you decided to follow me on over to Twitter. Yeah. Like, God damn it. <laughs> this is my area. That's where I was growing. But yeah, no, he's a great guy. Um, have you written for Barbarian Rhetoric yet? I wrote one article uh, a while ago. I don't, I'm trying to think if I wrote a second one. I think I've only done one for the time being. And it was talking about, you know, the kind of guys I see in my job, these castrated men who are just, drag it's like they, their wives dragged them around on a leash you know it's pathetic and so yeah i kind of wrote an article on that topic because at the beginning i used to be part of foe uh, for a very brief period of time and then the financial risk reward just wasn't worth it for me uh for the time being so not risk reward but cost benefit and, yeah. so, and uh he and i were on one of those like sunday morning zoom calls and nate and i had hopped on before anyone else we had been talking and uh that topic came up like oh my god there's so many guys who are just like their wife makes every single decision for them this is ridiculous and i said oh yeah i deal with that in my job all the time and so mm. he's like you should write an article about that i was like yeah sure and yeah uh, um so that turned out I, I i did the same thing as you um i know uh i think uh yeah joseph smith got out of it some of us just aren't cut out for uh groups like i'm all about you know establishing a tribe but I just feel like it's, it's nothing against FOE personally. For me, it was just, I just don't do well in group settings. 
Um, that's what happened because I'm, I'm talking to Jack Donovan next week. Okay. And there's something I wanted to bring to his attention that I think the books are backwards. Because what happened was I started reading The Way of Men and it just threw you right into tribalism. And at that time, I think this was before I even read The Rational Male. So people, especially if you're like a sigma, I don't believe in the whole alpha, beta, hierarchy crap, but I think it's okay to say sigma. I think alpha is just thrown around too much, but you know, sigma I think is usable. It's, it's someone who pretty much prefers to be a lone wolf and yeah, that kind sure. of stuff. But you get into this mentality of too much isolation and you need to be alone all the time and things like that. And that's, that's where I was. Uh, after everything I had been through, you know, stabbed in the back, you know, I got more knife wounds in my back than, than most people. And, you know, having my soul sucked out from questionable women because unfortunately I am attracted directly to train wrecks. That's the kind of women I like. And I was, I was talking to this really, really nice girl last night about it. And she was like, why is that? I said, I don't know. And, um, <laughs> but I, uh, like Charlie, she like dangerous women, you know? And, and I, uh, I was reading this book, I was reading the way of men and I'm like, I don't like this. This is about tribalism. So I got about halfway through the book, put it down, started reading Becoming a Barbarian. It eases you into it. Okay. So what Becoming a Barbarian does is ease. So I recommend to people, if you're going to read Jack Donovan's books, read Becoming a Barbarian, um, then The Way of Men, then More Complete Beast, then A Sky Without Eagles. Because I just feel like, I feel like Becoming a Barbarian is a prequel. Mm. And it, sh it shouldn't have been a sequel, but prequels always, I mean, if it comes out first, it's not a prequel. So if it, if it comes out second and it takes place before, then it's automatic. Right. So, um, that's something I, you know, I was talking that I want to talk to him about next week, but, um, I can't, I don't even remember what, what brought me to that whole point. Oh yeah. 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 Some of us just don't do very well in groups. So if I'm, I got to know Nathan really well yeah. and my second guest, Joe Shoemaker, who has also done a lot of the BR podcast, has written like 10 articles for BR. He and I are starting a new podcast. Nice. It's going to be yeah. like a, like a uh, shoot the shit talk show type thing. And um, probably once a week. And I got to know him really well. So I have to know, like I could, I could be in a group with Nathan, Joe, you, you know, people, people that I connect with. I just wasn't connecting with these guys. No, and there's a lot of, there were so many different personalities. It was all over the place. I just couldn't keep up and I couldn't, I don't like feeling obligated to be in a, in a group chat and, you know, things like this. And there was, and it was just too much. It was just too much. We're men and it works for them. I'm not, not shitting on it. I think FOE is great. I think everything uh, Zach has done is great. Um, the dude's a fucking workhorse. I mean, loves his family, gets stuff done. It is absolutely nothing against him or FOE. Just wasn't for me. And it's not for a lot of us. So Yeah, yeah, I get you. For me, it was mostly like just I can't, you know, like I said, a college student, all that kind of stuff. So I don't have 60 bucks to shell out a month for something that I felt, you know, would probably be more valuable to me if I had the time to hop on all the Zoom calls and I had the time and the money to go down to their events that they plan and that kind of stuff. That'd be really cool. 
but you know it's just like and i told him straight up i said like yo maybe i'll join again like i I've, it's literally just about the money that's it and that was pretty much left it at that and you know obviously zach's awesome so he totally understood he's like yeah no problem man. like you know if you want to come back come back not no worries so it's as simple as that and i get what you're saying like you get some guys i mean tribes are good but i think a lot of the men in groups like that just bond over the fact that there are no men to bond with in real life which is not true but then what ends up happening is you have totally different like you said personalities like you get the guys who are into spinning plates you get the dudes i think even nick lowry who's like yeah i'm trying to have like two girlfriends at the same time and then you get these guys who are like adam lane smith super devout catholics who are like you know i got married i got engaged two weeks after meeting my wife and married for 12 years and it's just like it's two different realms and i know yes. they structure these kind of groups so you can enter certain kind of group chats and cut out other ones like if you're married you don't need the dating advice group chat necessarily right mm-hmm. so you can just not join that one but it's when you're dealing with a group of 200 plus people, it just happens. It's the way it is. Yeah. So it's so much easier when you have six, seven, eight guys, which I think is probably why live events are more fun because that's kind of what ends up happening. You get maybe 20 guys tops that show up and then you just have a great yeah. yeah. And you're doing shit instead of talking about shit. And so it's just easier to get along because men bond over doing things more than we bond over talking about things. Exactly. I, I was having a conversation with my mom yesterday about this because she, she, she agrees with me. Uh, we, we agree on a lot of things. Um, she, it was, it was recently, like she'll, she'll tell you right quick, like everything that, everything that like Rollo says, my mother will say, I mean, it's, it's the same thing. She, she understands. She's like, women are, women are fucking crazy. I and mean, that's how it is. And she's like, they gossip, they're conniving, they're all this kind of stuff. And I had, like, I offended, you know, some people take offense. They take everything personal. Yeah, right. So I had posted, I posted, I put, um, like I told, uh, I, think, I think I was talking to Hotep Jesus about this. I said, I'm not one to stir the shit pot. I just hand people the stick. <laughs> and uh, so that's what I, I got up there and I said, women are dangerous. That's it. I didn't say it. I didn't say, I didn't say all. I didn't say some, but I didn't say all. And girl gets up there. And I, and I love this girl. Um, she's, she's really cool. And uh but sometimes I will hit a nerve with her and it's hilarious. And we get along fine. Cause she'll, she'll unfollow people real quick too. But she, 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 we never got in that kind of confrontation or anything. So it's like, I know her. I've been knowing her for like over a year. And she's like, men are more dangerous. I said, hold up. No, so we don't, we don't have the capacity to be dangerous like that because it's not in our DNA. We're not smart enough to be conniving. <laughs> We're vindictive on a different level. We don't plan shit out like a bat. We, we plan out our gym workouts and our meals and things like that. We, we don't, don't plan, plan out. Yeah. Yeah. We, we don't plan out how to fuck someone over. Yeah. We're just not smart enough. And they don't see, they don't see that. They don't see me turn it around and put it in their favor. To where I'm insulting me and complimenting you. You're smart enough to do it, but they, t- they take it. They, they take it because it's, a, it's still a low blow because you're saying women have the capacity to really do, you know, Emperor Palpatine type shit. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it gets, you know, it gets to that point where, you know, people just get, we get easily offended. And, uh, and it's, and damn, I went down the rabbit hole again. No, but uh, I'll follow up with that because my fiance will talk about that. She does not have any female friends besides maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, she's got, like, her casual, like, friends from work. Like, they chat. They got along. 
she doesn't want to spend time with them. She's like, because, you know, one of the experiences she had in Mexico was just vindictive, really mean girls that just wanted to fuck her over at every opportunity. And that kind of just followed her throughout her life. I mean, she's pretty, she's smart. She's always top of her class, all these kinds of things. And so jealousy just breeds around her for no reason. We'll go to the mall together. And like, you know, we both care. We're both fairly vain people to, you know, a reasonable degree. So we're always yeah. well-dressed too. And we'll go to the mall and she'll get nasty looks from other girls for no reason whatsoever. They, they, they know, they know, they know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They, they can sniff out. They can sniff out because, because, all right. So when I say this, I, I am a heterosexual man and I can only speak from a heterosexual man's point of view. That's all I can do. Good women are few and far between. For okay? sure. Are good men few and far between? I don't know. I don't date them. I don't know. I've heard, but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how much. Like my best friend prefers men. He's bisexual, but he prefers men. He prefers men because there's there's less drama. There's less drama. So, except with this last one he was with, who was who was who acted like a woman. You know, if you're gonna be with a man, you want a man. And I, I guess you know, and uh, but I can only yep. speak from you know that that perspective and good women are few and far between so the hyenas are going to sniff out the lion oh yeah that's what they're going to do they, they know they all know mean girls was made for a reason that shit's on point one of my favorite movies too i do need to watch it oh my god you gotta watch everybody should watch it everybody i, I do need to watch it it's, it's the, the most quotable that. it's the most quotable movie ever Women, women, I think, tend to be very, very acutely aware of the social hierarchy in a way that men are not. Because men tend to see things in like, can this guy beat me up or not? You know, mm -hmm. that's kind of it. And some guys don't yeah. even think of it. And, and if, you're, if you're like me, if a guy can beat me up, I'll respect him. And that's kind of that. And we're probably going to get along great. And, you know, I'm not going to be vindictive towards him. Whereas woman, it's like, if she's above you in the hierarchy because she's either prettier or smarter, whatever metric they decide to measure by. It just, there's no like, oh, how do I get to be like that? It's just, fuck you. I'm going to do everything to drag you down to my level. And so that's why she's like, I don't feel like, she doesn't trust women, generally speaking. I mean, I don't want to make my fiance seem like some, like I don't get along with anyone kind of person. She's super sweet and at a superficial level, she gets along with virtually everyone. But when it comes down to deep relationships with women, she struggles because there's always bullshit that she personally just doesn't have the time for at all. Which is why our relationship works great because then we don't really bullshit each other. <laughs> so, you know, it works out fantastically. But in terms of like the, the dynamic she has with a woman, it's really, it can be difficult for sure. And I'm like, yeah, I don't have to deal with that. <laughs> I, think, I think the only thing better than a girl who doesn't have guy friends is a girl who doesn't have girlfriends. Yeah. And she's got she one. That's it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, and, and I mean, you know, I'm so busy now. Most of my, most of my closer buddies at this point are my internet buddies, funnily enough. I mean, my best friend, he and I are still close, but he's out in like Ohio for college. So when he comes back, I see him. We stay in contact enough that we maintain that friendship. But when you get to a certain age, I think especially if you're mature enough, you try to make friends based off shared values more than off just like common circumstance. So that's why everyone who's like friends with each other in high school, the moment they're not in the same building every single fucking day, they don't talk to each other anymore because you're friends by yeah. circumstance. And that's why everyone on Twitter gets along so well because like, well, we're following each other because we agree with each other 
generally, you know, maybe nine times out of 10 when it comes to lifestyle, like all of our people generally have the same view on COVID and masks, right? Mm-hmm. We, we were mostly like, this is bullshit. And I don't want to wear this. But you go out in the real world with like all the people you're circumstantially around and it's like, well, they don't agree with me on anything. I don't get along with these people other than the fact that I have to or else my life will be miserable because I'm around them every single day. Mm-hmm. And so that's just, it's just the way it is, you know, most people. And I think the problem is that most people's lives are that way permanently and they don't have any kind of external shared value friendships for the most part. And so they're, all their friendships are circumstantial. And I think that's part of why a lot of people are probably just deeply unhappy. You don't truly yeah. like most of the people you're, you got, you get your one best friend that you grew up with and, you know, everybody usually has that, that you do connect with. And you latch onto those people because they're few and far between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, it's actually a very, very solid point because and a lot of people don't realize that they're like, why am I, why am I apprehensive about my best friend? Uh, because I mean, you guys don't, you guys don't agree. I mean, you can like someone uh, you can, I've, you know, getting back to, I remember what my original point was. It's with being in group situations and being some men are a little too sensitive. Oh, yeah. I, I don't really, I don't really want to say it that way, but um, someone that I really admired a lot recently um, unfollowed me because I, I, I understand why he got offended, but I also told him at the same time that it was a joke because I don't think women should sell their bodies for money. I don't. I don't think so. I understand. So it's like, for me as a dude, I don't know what it's like to struggle as a woman. I only know what it's like to struggle as a man. And we as men can't just get on there. It's like I always say, if Andrew Lozner gets up there and says, good morning, I hope you guys have a great day, you're going to get two likes. But if a girl with cleavage gets up there and says, good morning, I hope you all have a great day, she gets 600 likes and a dick pic. That's how it works. Men have to work. Women have to show up. And I got up there and I said, and it was really a dick move on my part. I'm trying to get away from it. Every time somebody sees me post something that's just way out in left field, assume that it's satire and I'm joking around because (laughs) I have a certain – but my sense of humor is dark and I would never yeah. do anything to, to you know, kill my reputation. But sometimes I, I go overboard. I'll be the first one to admit I go overboard. No, I'm with you. But it's not from an emotional standpoint. It's because I'm joking. I think I'm joking around, but I'm really just being an asshole. And I got up there and I said, if you're a girl. Yeah. If you're a girl and you don't have only or you don't have an OnlyFans, are you even living right or something like that? And he laid into me. Oh. He laid into me. And unfollowed me so i blocked him because if you un if you unfollow me you now no longer have access to me it's an automatic block anybody who unfollows me gets blocked if i know them if it's like a random account give a shit but and uh somehow it got out that it happened and uh joseph smith hit me up and he was like what happened no he, he he did the uh eye roll he did like an eye roll emoji. And I said, uh, I know what it was. He said, I can't I think when I blocked the person, he couldn't see it or something. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, there was an eye roll 
And I said, it was so-and-so. He said, yes, the eye roll still applies. And they're friends. So he, he knows how the guy was. He knows yeah, how dude. this dude thought. And I get why the guy was offended, but it was like, dude, I was, I was just joking around. And I said something that I really shouldn't have said that I will not repeat up here, but I alluded, I alluded to one of his associations with questionable people. It's like, you're going to lay into me, but these are the, this is the company you keep. You lay into me, but this is the company you keep. It was kind of yeah, like yeah. that thing. And he just, like Jedi mind trick, like I didn't even say it because I called him out on it. But that's another reason the whole tribal thing es- escaped me and the whole group. I don't want to risk getting involved. Like if I'm hanging out, like it's the reason why me and my female friend don't talk politics because she's a fucking socialist. Yeah. And I know how sensitive they can be, but I don't want to deal with feminine en- energy with men. It's not the thing that I want to deal with. And a lot of men come to the table with feminine energy. And a lot of the times it's fairly masculine men who come with it. And you just got, you just hit that nerve, you nick that nerve. And they're like, Ooh, this was a direct, this, this was directly against everything I believe in. You, you want to hear my crazy story about that? Yes, I do. Cause I, cause I knew you had one. That's why I brought yeah. that up. Cause I knew you had yeah. one. So the, patriarch, <laughs> the patriarch of my girlfriend, she's now my fiance's family is her uncle. He came here to the States as a kid, worked his way up. He's now a manager of a country club. Dude makes a butt ton of money. So he supports practically everyone. You know, my fiance's family lives in a house that he owns and they don't have to pay as much rent as they would otherwise because he owns it. So I go to his house for the, you know, their house for New Year's Eve, you know, party kind of thing. And I had eaten just beforehand, so I wasn't hungry. And he's one of those people who likes to fuck around with everyone and, you know, no worries. But I'm, I'm coming the same way. So he comes to me and, you know, he kind of makes the joke of like, oh, you don't want to eat? Like, what, is my not, food not good enough for you? And I said, no, that's not what it is. And, and he kept pushing it. And I, and I just was like, you know what? And I kind of laughed it off and I said, believe whatever you want. That's all I said. That pissed him off. He's never spoken to me since. <laughs> His own mother had cancer. I was at the hospital with her. He showed up. He says bye to everyone in the room. I stick out my hand to shake his. He refused to shake my hand in front of his cancer-ridden mother. At that moment, everyone was like, holy shit, I can't believe he did that. And this guy's like all about his, you know, machismo, all this kind of shit, you know. That's how it always is, man. And then the moment, and they're like, and originally my fiance kind of laid into me about it. She's like, you shouldn't have said that. This is before, obviously, the handshake incident. She's like, you shouldn't have said that. Maybe you should apologize. I'm like, what did I do wrong? But, you know, I kind of reached out to the guy anyway. I'm like, let's see if we can smooth things over. This isn't something worth destroying an entire bridge over. So I was like, you know, hey, man, if you want to talk about it, you know, I'm willing to apologize, something like that. Never replied to me through text. And I was like, you know what, that's it. Like, I'm not dealing with this shit. Um, and that was that. And so, yeah, it's always, it's always the guy that is, you know, you just have a lot of ego. And then someone mm-hmm. speaks it even a tiny bit in just the wrong area. I still don't get why that bothered him so much. Maybe because it was in front of everyone else or something i i don't know what it is i'm of the mind because i'm one of those people like i don't care what because for, because they're from mexico hierarchies matter a little mm-hmm. bit more social hierarchies whereas i'm the american you don't get to treat me like shit if i don't get to treat you like shit back it's as simple right. as that you're not better than me i don't care how much fucking money you have i don't care who you are i'm gonna fuck with you if you're gonna fuck with me that's it if trump made a comment at me i'd make a comment back at him that's how yeah. it is because we're americans are on equal footing and so this whole, like, you're untouchable because you're X, Y, or Z, no, fuck that. So that was, that was my stance on the whole issue. And, you know, it's kind of, 
I wouldn't say it's smoothed over. Everyone's kind of just come to terms with how things are. We don't talk to each other. And that's kind of that. But yeah, like you said, like you get these guys, just, they try so hard to display this masculine energy and then you hit the one nerve that bothers them and that's it. And they just, I don't know, they collapse. I, I heard in a uh, podcast episode, Andrew Tate said, I'm the realest guy on Twitter. And I felt that. Because he's com- he's completely transparent, he's genuine. He comes right out and says, "I mean, he's 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 a playboy. I mean, he's rich. He's a playboy. Loves his cars." He said he's so rich he's bored. Like, what do you do when you have that much money? He's like, oh, "It's like I'm bored. I'm bored out of my fucking mind," you know. Like and uh, I mean, you got so many of these these fake alphas, yeah. as as Tate calls them, alpha dorks. <laughs> you know, because that's what they are, man. They're fucking dorks. And they get up there and it's every day as I'm not wearing a fucking mask. Then don't wear a mask. Nobody cares. I know yeah. sometimes I post stuff. We all post stuff that people are thinking nobody gives a shit. But do you really have to get out there and just sling your nutsack around every day? Is there <laughs> anything else? Is there something meaningful in your life? I just painted a fucking end table and you're still hollering about a mask. <laughs> I mean, it's there. like, I, I, I don't know, man. But you, but you know what? Patriarchy is different in every culture. Oh, of course. You know, and it's, and it's, it's like Africa. They do patriarchy right. They got it, they got it nailed down. Uh, there's, there's an African girl on Twitter that I'm actually going to have on the podcast someday, probably September. And uh, she's gonna, we're going to talk about you know, the, the, the disparities of you know, American, American patriarchy and how it literally does not exist. Because you have a male president, it, it doesn't work that way. It literally does not work that way. Patriarchy is something completely different. Yeah. And it's like the whole gender way, g- gender, gender gap, yeah. gender pay gap. Yeah. So women are always complaining about, hey, we want equal pay. Work more how, many of you are, how many of you are civil engineers? How, how many of you are architects? You want six figures to be a fucking secretary. That's what you want. It's not, there's, they want equal pay, but not equal work because they don't do the same they don't do the same work. There is no pay, but at the same time, nobody's stopping you. I actually met a female civil engineer um, last year. She was at the pool at the, at the apartment I was at. Different kind of girl. She was, just, and she was real reserved, real quiet, you know, whatnot. Very respectful. You could tell she was very, very intelligent. I'm like, what do you do for a living? She's like, I'm a civil engineer. I was like, what the fuck? You don't ever hear about that kind of stuff anymore. But people just make up things. There's no patriarchy i'm pretty sure your girlfriend would agree there's no patriarchy depends on your definition of it i think that there should be a patriarchy right men run protect things protect the people that are on i'm going to do air quotes for under them you know the people that are under their protection right and that's that i mean that we should have patriarchal families whether or not our society is constructed as this overwhelming patriarchy i don't think so because every institution designed to culture and educate your kids is run by women mm-hmm so I don't think we live in the patriarchy. I definitely don't think we live in the patriarchy as the left defines it. I think that we should live in the patriarchy in the way Tanner Guzzi defines it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The um, man is head of household because we were talking about this. Um, I've talked about this with several people, you know, cause it's, it's funny because you get on Twitter, you see that there are a lot of young traditional women out there. And I had all, I had all forgot they existed. And it's crazy. It's like it, you get these 18-year-old girls who are like, you know what? I want to be a wife and a mother. And you're like, where the hell did that come from? Who raised yeah. you? You know? 
And someone had said something the other day about, what was it? I can't remember what it was. I can't remember what the topic was. I'm so freaking tired. But, uh, yeah, so patriarchy doesn't mean tyranny. They're no. completely different things. It's like Hitler wasn't a patriarch. It's not how that works. So right. you have to, it's like you said, depends on how you define it. But, yeah, and, and that's, that's what I meant to say. I'm pretty sure your girlfriend would, because she's, she's seen that firsthand, and she's seen that kind of patriarchy, like from the, from the uncle, and would agree that the way the left defines it, it's not because the way the left defines it, it's just a temper tantrum. It's, it's yeah. who can I, it point and sputter, who can I point the finger at, that sort of thing. And you're right. And just like in, in the Bible, it's like, you know, woman submits to the man. It doesn't mean get on your knees with a ball gag in your mouth and do whatever he says. It's not what it means with your wrists and your ankle, ankles tied together. It's not what it means. Ironically, that's exactly what the liberated woman allegedly like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, true. It's, it's funny. So bring it back a tiny bit. The, the thing people need to understand is, you know, you mentioned African patriarchy. And I think that when you're the head of a household, when you're, when you're going to put yourself as this massive figurehead that you're not to be trifled with, then you don't joke with your subordinates. The general of the army does not joke with the grunt. He just doesn't. Maybe the platoon commander does because he's a little mm-hmm. bit more on their level. And then they'll mess with him a little bit too because he's their buddy. So you don't get to treat yourself like the sacred calf, but then fuck with the people below you. That's just not how the dynamics ever work. It doesn't play out that way. So if you want to be a full-blown, don't mess with me at all kind of person, you don't get the luxury of messing with the people under you. You just don't, and vice versa. So I think, and I think that's you know just how it is. It's not even the rules we've come up with here in America. So I would imagine in Africa, and I could be very, very wrong about this, but I'd imagine in Africa, you know, these patriarchs of the family, the men, you just don't mess with them. You just don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I worked with an Ethiopian girl. Um, she was, she was born in California. I think she was born in California. Yeah. Born in California. She, you know, she went to Ethiopia, you know, as you do when you're from a, you have your native country, you're going to go there at some point. Yep. And, and, you know, I had asked her, I was like, they have a, they have a patriarchy there too as well. Right. And she's like, Oh yeah. She, she was a different kind of person. She was a, she was a liberal, but she was, um, very intelligent, very easy to get along with Yeah, that kind of stuff. And, uh, it's just a, the, the way they run things. Yeah. It's like, you don't, you don't fuck with them and true, true patri- patriarchy, just like masculinity itself, higher testosterone, high testosterone is quiet. You know, it's, it's a very, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't unfollow you or block you for stupid shit. It doesn't refuse to shake your hand. It doesn't do things like it doesn't have outbursts. That's why this whole toxic masculinity thing can't possibly exist. Those two words can't go together. You can't have a cold fire. It doesn't work that way. You don't take, you don't get to take something that stands for one thing and put a word in front of it and change it into something else. So, you know, men that act like that, e- ego is going to get you every time, man. That, that whole thing, that was just, that's what they say pride comes before a fall. You know, hubris yeah. comes before a fall. And that's, it's pure hubris, man. And it's not becoming of a man to do that. You know, you don't ever, you don't ever, I've never, I've been so, so damn mad with people before. And they put their hand out and shake it. I got to shake their hand, man. That's one thing I'm not going to deny you. I don't give a fuck if I hate you. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think uh, I ran into a similar situation where I was, I was fucking around in um, that lounge that I was telling you about earlier up in my college. And I was making some jokes and I actually, one joke, you know, was very reliant on context. And one of the guys who was in the lounge for the first time heard me and he was really, like, I could tell he was really ticked off about it. He'd been like personally offended. And as he was walking out the room, I kind of went up to him and I was like, hey man, like, I'm just messing around. I hope you didn't take it personally. Like it wasn't meant to. And I stuck out my hand and he got like, he was so offended. He like refused to shake it and kind of walked out. I was like, all right, whatever. And everyone else in the room is looking at it like, I just can't, can't understand or take a joke. And yeah. it wasn't even directed at him or anything like that. You know, I wasn't picking on anybody in the room. And, you know, I could look at myself and I, there's definitely a moment like, yeah, I probably should have shut up a little bit. There's truth to that. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's almost always truth to that in every circumstance. Right. But, it's one of those things like if people want to make shit right and they're not coming at it from a place of like arrogance, then you, know, you try to, you try to take, you take the hand and that's that. Yeah. Really, regarding the Tate brothers, like I don't follow them. And the reason I don't follow them is pretty straightforward. I don't support the whole cam girl thing. I just don't, but I like them more or less as people in the times I've interacted with them. They've always been very polite. A few times we've interacted. So I think we'd get along just fine in person. Um, I respect a lot of things about them. Uh, it's not the totality of them. But the thing, one of the things I learned from them that I think is really, really applicable is you can say whatever you want if you can beat the shit out of anyone. It's yeah. just, you know, they can mess around because they're the kind of people who'll say, you know, pull up to my house. I'll pull up to yours if you want. And we'll, mm-hmm. we'll handle this. And that's why even the big, you know, there are lots of red pill types who attack other people. Like I've seen guys sit down in a fucking panel, like trying to dismantle Cortez and other people talking about how terrible and stupid they are. It's like no one does that for the Tate brothers. No, no one's talking shit about them on a podcast because they know that if they find out, they'll be like, come on over, let's fight and just see how this turns out. And no right. one wants to do that. Right. And I understand that. I respect that. You know, there's, when I was a kid, you know, I was really idealistic and I grew up on, on these idealistic stories. And so that Aesop fable, the whole might makes right. was like, that's bullshit. You know, that's not true. And there's a part of me that I think misunderstood it. It's not that might makes right. And that, you know, the person who's most violent is inherently morally good. It's just that it doesn't matter if they're right or wrong, they're going to get their way. So you might as well be the mighty one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's paramount if you, you gotta you, you gotta be dangerous you don't you you're peaceful the whole warrior in the garden that's, that's yeah, what you absolutely. have to be you have to be the warrior in the garden because you, know, you you go through your life you'd be honorable you'd be kind and when shit hits the fan you know you take care of it and the thing that resonated with me about tate the uh the one time he it, it was the most human thing he ever said was that he still gets chills. This, this primal fear walking into parking decks yeah. because he walked yeah. into the parking yeah. deck and the guy was about to stab him in the neck and he turned around just in time and clocked the guy. And he's like, you're worried about your, your girlfriend left you. He said, men will kill you. They'll kill you in Brazil for your shoes. I mean, that's, that's, and that goes back to the whole Rollins thing before. If people in Brazil will kill you for your shoes, it's a lot of it is don't be in questionable situations, which it takes situations. It's just a parking deck. I mean, yeah. you got to be in a parking deck at some point in time. We all do. You're in New York. 
parking decks. So, you know, it's the same way in Atlanta. I hate them. I hate parking decks. I would find a meter and just pay. I just didn't give a shit, man. I want, I want to be outside right in front of the skyscraper, lights everywhere. Fuck this. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's what he said, man. He said, I still have, you know, this, he said, that's the only time I'm really afraid. And, uh, but at the same time, he, he's dangerous. And I'm pretty sure when he turned around, because a, a guy who knows how to fight and somebody tries to fight you, you're going to come at them with your skills, with the techniques, with the thing, because you've been in the shit. When somebody's trying to kill you and you know how to fight, different, different story altogether. Like when, the, when two lions are playing, you know, they're fighting, you know, or, or maybe they're fighting for a female. It's a different energy than when you see a lion get surrounded by a bunch of hyenas. It's a completely different situation. And I'm pretty sure that after Tate turned around, that guy had a really bad day and regretted his decision. So, hell, he may have killed him. I don't know. Tate may have killed him and dragged him off somewhere. (laughs) My understanding is that Tate got stabbed. I think he did actually get stabbed. I think he got him in the arm. It would have been his neck, but it was his arm. Something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... um, because there's a totally difference. There's obviously a difference between, you know, when you're in the ring, yeah, you're trying to hurt the person, but you're not actually taking that arm bar all the way. You know, you're applying pressure, usually slow enough that the person can tap. Whereas, like, I was in a situation just recently where some guys were getting uppity with me, and there was four of them. And I diffused it by just being a little bit more polite than I had originally with them. I was like, guys, please leave, right? You know, and the guy was like, all right, it's better, whatever. They walked off. And I'm thinking, like, one, four on one is just not good odds. It's just no. not, no matter how much it, I know. But, you know, if I'm in a situation like that, the first thing I'm going to try to do is incapacitate someone. So I'm not going to try to ease up on him. If I can break his arm instantly and then move on to the next guy, I'm going to. And so, you know, that lion in a situation like that, he's going to rip out a throat as fast as he can so he can move on to the next problem. And yeah. Yeah, exactly, there's totally different style between yeah. Even a professional fight versus like this person's trying to kill you. Okay, now I can kill you back. Yeah, if you're dealing with Western American male punks who are just being mouthy, one of them is the leader. Yeah. And you, you want to take the mouthy one and, 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 you, and you take him out. And normally the, the other two, three, five, whatever, don't want anything. He, he just... So here's my friend, and there's his mandible. We're out. We're gone. He just clocked this guy, and his mandible fell off. We're, we're, we're out of here, you know, that sort of thing. You know, but even in the situation, it's not something you want to deal with because all no. they got to do, all they got to do is clock you. You know, yeah. you're out with this guy arguing with this dude. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a different type of situation because, you know, the, the guys that are fighting in the ring, if they go too far, and it has happened before, but if they go too far, it's because of adrenaline. They're trying to win. We as men are competitive. But it's not survival instinct. It's there, but they're not channeling that because they're not – there's a referee there. There's a doctor there. There's, you know, there's a cut man. There's all kinds of stuff. But in the street, man, you don't know what somebody's going to do. Yeah. And that's why I always walk around with my hand in my pocket and something in my hand because I don't want to – I, I'm not going to risk it. I'm just, I'm just not going to risk it. When, when the cops get there and they'll say, why is his head missing? You know, I'm going to say, look, the guy was trying to kill me. I did what I had to do, and I had to make sure he didn't do it. He didn't, he didn't recover and do it to me or would never do it to anybody else. 
like a child or something, you know. So the reason why his head is in the other parking lot is for that reason, officer and your honor and everybody else. So, I mean, this is what you got to do, but you got to, the only way to get that, that instinct is to train. Like you said, you got to, you got to get involved in martial arts. You got to do something. Um, and, and you got to get competitive with it. It's a good idea to compete just because they put you into that situation where you, because we as men are violent anyway, we, we are inherently violent. That's what we do because we still, we still have those. We haven't evolved in 2 million years. We, we still yeah. have those ancestral instincts and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, we, we just, we still have that and we need to do it in a controlled environment. It's the reason why we get pissed and, you know, things like that. So the thing that kind of echoed in my mind in the moment was one, a tweet I saw that was a good reminder of I'm at that level where I'm just learning. So I know more than the average person, mm-hmm. but I'm nowhere near where I need to be. And yeah. most people will tell you that's the worst level to be at mm-hmm. because you're just cocky enough to think you can do something, but not trained enough to really take on, a, a really bad situation mm-hmm. and the other thing too is you get a lot of these guys on twitter who are all about like you know someone disrespects me i'm gonna beat the shit out of him and, and you know i there's something poetic and cool about that but the one person i always kind of refer to when when it comes to violent situations and advice regarding getting involved or not is bobby dino mm-hmm. he's the shit and so when he's the guy who tells you look man it's not worth it just be polite and don't and unless you're saving someone else who really needs to be saved or you have no other choice, just walk away. Mm-hmm. And it was in that moment, it was his words that kind of echoed in my mind of like, it's not worth, I mean, first off, I'm in front of my job site. Like they're going to be mm-hmm. able to find me. If, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's not some random street encounter. They'll never see me again. Like they just go back to that same place. I'm going to be there probably five days out of seven. Yes. So it's just not worth it to start beef with random people. And, and that was like, I kind of had to stop, close my eyes for a second, take a deep breath and kind of like, okay, I got to change tactic here because this is not going to be pretty. And I wasn't afraid. I wanted to fight. I did. But I'm like, one of them's filming. I'm going to be the aggressor in the situation if I just walk up to the one kid and clock him. Like, there's no mm-hmm. way, there's no outcome here that's going to be better than the one that actually I went through with. And there's part of me that, you know, still, I wanted to fight. I wish I could have beaten someone up. But the reality is I was able to achieve the best possible outcome there for sure, because it means no one got hurt. No one got in trouble. No one. I'm, they're probably not going to come back because I didn't do anything to them enough for them to justify, like coming back to my job, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I was going over it like that night over and over, obviously. And I was like, should I have done something different? I was thinking, no, I, I did. I, I did everything right. Not necessarily what I wanted to do, but it was definitely the best thing to do. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. It's. It, I can relate to that when you said you wanted to fight because I had a situation where because I was always afraid of confrontation. I hate confrontation. It makes me feel unpleasant. I just don't like it. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you get that nervous feeling because you know I've been in a few scuffs. I had a knife pulled on me by a kid when I was a kid, and it was. It was. This is always. It's just, uh, I grew up in kind of a, a, kind of a rough town, but I had this situation. I was 33 and I was, uh, air quotes, dating this 18 year old. Mm. And uh, people would ask, well, what do you want an 18 year old? Take a wild guess. And people, people really don't see it as okay, but she wasn't 13. That's, that's the point. I prefer women 
over 21. Yeah. But she was 18, she was hot, and she wanted to be with me. So I'm like, okay, like what kind of an idiot would I be? So, oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know the government says it's legal, but we can't do this. Fuck that. So she skips. She's in college. Okay? She's not in high school. She's in college. Yeah. She skips class. You know what's one of the cool things you can do in college? Skip class. <laughs> yeah. Did that so way too often. They don't call you. They don't call the parents and all this kind of crap. So she skips class, comes over for, you can probably guess what, and uh, her dad catches wind up. And her dad is an absolute ox. This motherfucker's huge, and he's a fireman. Oh, yeah. Fuck that. So this motherfucker rides over to my house we were getting dressed rides over to my house knocks on my door and i'm like well here we go <laughs> and uh i opened the door and he was like hey jason i said hey ken yeah, I, I knew him <laughs> and uh he's like is she here? I was like, yeah, come on in. I invited the dude in, right? Never kept, never took my eyes off of her. And she comes walking out and she's embarrassed as fuck. She's crying. She's so embarrassed. And I'm embarrassed for her because I get it. She still lives under their roof, whatever, but you know, she's in school and uh, I didn't tell her to skip class. As a matter of fact, I think I told her, no, just wait till you get done with class and come on over. She's like, nah, I need it now. I said, okay, well, come on over. Because if a woman <laughs> needs it, if a woman needs it, you, you have to oblige. She comes out. She's so, oh, my God. This was eight years ago, and I, I still feel sorry for her because she was, so, she was so embarrassed. He's like, what are, you, what are you doing skipping class? And she didn't have an answer. She's like, what does it look like I'm doing? I'm here with a 33-year-old man. We're not exactly playing backgammon. You know, she didn't know what to say. It was a dumb question. So he, he's like, go wait for me on the motorcycle. Because he's on his motorcycle. He's like, go out there and get on the motorcycle and wait for me. I said, well, here we go. So I always carried, always carried a blade. So yeah. one, I give this guy balls points for coming to my house. Like, I get it. It's your daughter. But again, she's, she's of legal age. I get it. Second of all, don't be mad at me. I didn't, I didn't tell her to skip school. I'm just a dude. I like two things, sex and food. That's it. So, and, and in that order. So he starts, this motherfucker starts chastising me. And I had zero fear. Zero. Yeah. Because one, I have extensive training in anatomy and physiology. I know where everything vital is and I can get to it real quick. Second of all, I can also get to this blade really quick. I know where everything is in this house. I know how to get not only an escape plan together, but a kill you and they'll never find your body plan together because it's my house. Yeah. And I, had, I didn't have that, that nervous feeling in the pit of my stomach. And I'm like, this is not going to end well because I'm going I'm, 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 to – the whole time he's talking, I'm just looking at his liver. That's all I'm doing. Because – and it wasn't even because I was scared of him. It was because I was so 
fucking mad because he had the audacity to walk up into my house. All he had to do was knock on the door and say, hey, is she here? Yeah, I'll tell her to come out. And then he could stand the fuck to the side, get back on his hog and ride off. One hog on the other hog and ride off. But he didn't do that. And uh, as he's walking out, he says the stupidest shit I've ever heard another man say to a man. He's like, I ain't, ain't going to try to fight you, but I ain't going to act like I don't want to. I said, I hear you, can. Have a good day, buddy. <laughs> but to, to say that, all that to be said, I know exactly how you felt. And I, at that point, I made that decision that there could come another time because when you have fear, you think rationally because you start thinking about everything that can happen. When I got in my wreck, this lady ran a red light. Everything went through my mind. The lawyers, I mean, I'm talking about in a nanosecond. I'm not going to have a vehicle. I'm probably going to get injured. I may even die. Now I got to get a lawyer. Now I got to wait for the money. I got to get a rental car. All of this flashed through my mind in a nanosecond. You know, dreams only last a couple of seconds. Yeah. So you can have a long ass 10 minute dream, but it's, it's a flash. So that's, that's how it was. And I thought to myself, I don't ever want to feel like that. I want to be scared. I want to be scared so that I can diffuse the shit. And yeah. it, it may just have been because he was in my house, because this was from a place of anger. This was not fear. This was just sheer anger. And I learned when I was uh, working at LA Fitness, uh, there was two LA Fitness locations where they wouldn't allow you in the personal training zone. So my manager would said, um, if, if, if you don't buy a first class ticket, your ass don't fly first class. Get the fuck out of my PT zone. Get out. And, and you need you to throw them out. I learned that I can't deal with this mouth. I can't deal with mouth. And there were like juice heads, ex-professional wrestlers, all types of fighters, all kinds of shit that would come in there and just mouth off to me because I got to throw them out. I went to my, my boss said, Desmond, I can't do it, man. I said, because I'm going to get into a fight because I can't deal with this. And he said, I understand. He said, what you do, turn to the side, real, real cool like. And, and my clients knew it because they were like, why is he in here? So I would just pull out my phone and, and text Desmond and say, hey, get this motherfucker out of my PT zone. And he would have to walk over there and do it. So I completely understand what you're saying because you never know what, when the situation is going to hit where you're just not scared and you're not going to think clear. Because then you're yeah. going to try to kill somebody because you know you have to. Yeah. So. I mean, you know, in your situation, you've got all these things going for you between training, you know, the area. And you're probably justified if a fight does break out. You know, so you got the legal, legal end of things there too. For me, it's just it's like I had adrenaline rushing through me. And when that happens, my head starts to shake because I try to stay still. And I guess all the energy just focuses in my head, I'm just like mm -hmm. trying to keep that. So, so that was what was going on. But there was no fear. It was just because they were play fighting in front of my store. And that was the problem. So I told them, like, yeah. hey, guys, first off, because they were play fighting, I wasn't sure if it was really playing or not. So I went out there. I was like, hey, you guys good? You know, what's up? They're like, yeah, we're just playing the words. And they'll kind of load in their cars if they're going to leave. It's like, all right, great. So I'll go back in my store. The moment I'm back in, they start doing that shit again. And they're like, smack they got one kid on the ground, they're like smacking him and kicking him. And I went back out there and I was like, you know, get the fuck out of my parking lot. And one of the kids took issue with the fact that I cursed at him. So he's right. the one that starts getting mouthy. And he told me, like, you're going to end up like him. And I'm thinking in my mind, no, I'm not. He's going to be the fuck out of you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're going to end up like him comment was what really set me off because I really wanted to prove him wrong. And I really wanted he to assumed, like, oh, he assumed that he just knew again, this is my third Steve Harvey reference. Don't <laughs> think for one second, you can just whip my ass. Yeah. Cause I mean, you might, but nah. 
So, like, one of the buddies is filming the whole thing, so I know, like, you know, this is going to end up on Twitter somewhere, so I'm not going to be the, the bad guy <laughs> yelling at it was just like you know, I wanted to be put, and I, I knew like I had to stop, freeze, and put myself in there, like a mindset of like, there's no way this is gonna go well unless I defuse it. Because if I go there and I step forward and I clock this kid, that's on video. There's no fucking context to that. So what you get is mean old white guy beating the shit out of a black dude on camera. Mm-hmm. There's no context of them play fighting their buddy before kicking him. There's no context mm-hmm. of me. You know, it's immediate from get out of my parking lot. They'll spin it as like, well, because we're black, he told us to get out of his parking lot. Right. And then he proceeded to beat the shit out of one of us when we demanded he respect us more. You know, there's a thousand ways you can spin something like that. And I totally get, get that fact. So I was like, all right. The guy was like, you know, don't talk to me that way. Took a deep breath. I was like, please leave, gentlemen. And I kind of, little tiny, tiny bit of sarcasm, but not enough of them to really know. They were like, yeah. and the kids were like, all right, that's better. And they'll pile in the car and drove off. One of them picks a picture of me and leave it. And I'm like, what the fuck are you going to do with that? And, you know. Wow. You know, spread it around your social circles, I guess. But it is what it is. No big deal. And I mean, you like, thought it through, though, because you knew all that crap would happen. I mean, Yeah, well, I didn't think all that through. It was just, there's a camera. And there's no way it's going to go well if I step up to this kid. Correct. You know, that's, that was the extent, but that's enough to make a good mm-hmm. decision. And you're like, all right, you know, whatever. He wants me to be polite, I'll switch it up. And then if he comes to me, even when I'm being polite, then, then I'll do whatever. Because, you know, I'm of that mindset. Like, if you're going you're gonna to hit, hit first and hit hard. So if you come up into my face, like, you ever watch those fight videos with two guys that they get in each other's faces, and it's almost like they're daring the other one to throw the punch first. But the one who gets the first punch in almost always wins. Yep. And it's just like, if you come up to me like that, I am throwing the first punch. That's it. Like I said, didn't get there. And that's that. I'm happy about it. <laughs> you know, I'll leave it at that. It, was it four black guys? Yeah. Yeah. But they were all about my size, my, maybe a little younger than me. Maybe like yeah. one year. Uh, four black guys and one white guy is actually a white on black hate crime. Yeah, exactly. So you would not have. Hey, get the fuck out of my parking lot. You know, right. <laughs> get off my lawn. <laughs> there's, like I said, there's a thousand ways that that could be spun really poorly. And so the, it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to turn to the next Knicks fan, man. You know, cause I'm not going to make the millions of dollars he did by suing CNN over this. Right. Um, so complete 180 back around. What, what are your plans for the future for yourself, for your, you, you, are, are you trying to have family? You trying, what, what are you trying to do here? Um, I want to have three kids before I'm 27. We'll see how that plays out. Um, but for now, the immediate goal is, I mean, you know, I got promoted. I'm making a little bit more money than I was. Um, so the idea with my fiance is get married sometime next year, get our own apartment together and grind it out. She'll be able to, you know, we'll both be finishing up college in, in the spring. I took a semester off and then I needed extra senior credits. So even though I'm a year older and went did a year of college before her, I'm graduating the same year. So I've got two more semesters. She's got two more semesters. We'll graduate in the spring, ideally, and then that'll be that. And then, you know, with the communications degree and the experience that I kind of now have, hopefully I'll be able to get a slightly better job. Her uncle, a different one who was in the Air Force, works for this, you know, really good company out in Colorado. And he's kind of, we've talked about it. So it's like, you know, if I could get a job there, that would be great. And mm-hmm. I'd love to move to Colorado. I think I'd love it up there. Yeah. So it was, um, you know, it's kind of that, like, we'll grind it out. We'll be poor for a little while between our two, like, small incomes but as long as we're both full-time and, and you know she's great with money her, her degree is finance 
She's phenomenal. Ooh, nice. I'm not, I'm not good with that shit. Like, I know the baseline, like, don't spend money you don't have. Right. <laughs> I'm not a total idiot, but she's really good about all that. So, and I've been planning on trying to get her Nate's course, actually, at some point. Because I want her to read it and see what she thinks about it. Do it. I, I, I have, I'm going through it now. Um, uh, like I told Everyone you earlier, he's... Yeah, he, it, um, it's not what you think it is. Yeah, um, I talked a little bit. So I, he kind of told me the basic premise of, of it, um, but I just never pulled the trigger on, on buying it. So yeah, I'm going to have to get around to that. Yeah, I mean, for yeah. 97 bucks, trust me, for 97 bucks, you, you can find worse things to spend your 97 bucks on. Yeah. And uh, Nate, Nate's a really cool guy. Um, very, very trustworthy. Just, just really cool. And he, yeah, he, he, was, he was my debut guest, like I, like I told you earlier last week. We only got through part one, and then everything just everything just shut down because they had this horrible storm in Texas. Yeah, and then uh, so we're trying to get together to do a, a part two. We're supposed to do it today, but he had a funeral yesterday, and yeah, uh, I was going to do it before I talked to you. But but yeah, um, because the cool thing about it is I didn't understand it, and the book that comes with it's really boring. It's very text. Well, I, w- I wouldn't say it's very textbook. It's, I, I think it's boring to me because I don't understand the material because I'm, I was horrible with money. I'm not anymore. Um, once I started to understand it, but your girlfriend will get a crap ton out of it. So yeah. people who understand finance and are already good with money and know all that kind of stuff. It's, it's like giving me a, a manual on biomechanics. It's, it's just, it's just going to, it's just going to work if I give it to, you know, but if I give Nate a manual on biomechanics, it just probably wouldn't work for him. Yeah. So since, like a giant barrier. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the fact that she understands it, she'll, yeah, she'll catch right on. Y'all, y'all be a perfect fit for it. So yeah, I, I highly recommend getting that and, and use my link. I'm an affiliate. So I'll, yeah. I'll send you the link when you're ready <laughs> and uh, you, can, you can use my link. Yeah. But, but, um, yeah. So, uh, any plans to start your own company? Not at the moment, no. Um, I keep every now and then I've bugged Jeff. I said, you know, you care so much about rugged style and shit. Like you should branch out into clothing, you know, because there aren't enough clothing companies that cover rugged clothing. You know, Huckberry, I think is the one off the top of my head that I know of. And so I've kind of teased him about that. And I don't have any plans for the moment for that to go anywhere, but that's just an idea that's been spinning around the back of my mind. And, who knows? I mean, you know, it's the thing about companies is it's always so overwhelming because you go like, where do I even start? What do I start with? Where do I go? You know, all this kind of shit. And thank God the internet's made that easier. You know, oh, I wrote a course. What am I going to do? You're going to put it on Gumroad. You're going to get some affiliates and you make money off of it. And right. that was so much easier than 10, 20 years ago, for sure. Yeah. But even without all those barriers to entry removed, it still can be really overwhelming. And like you kind of pointed out at the beginning, it's, for the time being, I don't really have an idea that I want to buckle down on and, and really go right. for. So that's where, why, you know, I don't have any plans at the moment. I was, you know, everybody on Twitter seems to have their thing. And I've always kind of been like, I don't know how I have so many followers, given the fact that I don't have a thing. You know, my thing in podcasts has been like homeschooling because everyone's homeschooling their kids and I was homeschooled. So people can bring me on and talk about that. But it's not like, you know, you get the guy who's the style guy, you get the guy who's the money guy. It's like, I'm not really any of those things. I'm just a young guy who talks about masculinity. And people listen to me because they're impressed that I'm a little ahead of the curve at 21 than they were at 30 or something like that. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, your thing. I'm trying to think of what. 
I mean, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's like your, yours is all over the place, but it's not sporadic. So, yeah. I mean, you, you kind of do the whole, like you don't do platitudes. Um, I, I do platitudes a lot of the time, but you're really not, you're going to reinvent the wheel no matter who you are. It's, it's why you have influence. It's why you have mentors and stuff. Like, even Ed Lattimore said that. He said, you're not going to, you're really not going to do anything original. No. So you want to just kind of add to the conversation. It's okay to add to the conversations. Don't rip people off. So add to the conversation. If somebody gets up there and posts, posts, I call myself the Argonaut because, you know, it's a title I gave myself because I've been battling demons that have been trying to kill me since I was three years old. And it's a reminder that only God can kill me. I'm going to have a problem with that person. It's mine. But if they want to, you know, so they learn that from me or, you know, something like that, or they give themselves a title or, you know, whatever that's kind of along those lines, but that's kind of, I mean, you do. I mean, the reason why I followed you is because you still managed to stand out. So I honestly think because you, you speak from a place of experience, you look nothing like your AVI either. It's weird. I'm just looking at it right now. It's weird. But, uh, yeah, I got to turn my head a little bit and try to get my good side. Yeah. The uh, but yeah, you 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 do have a thing. It's just hard to to pin, which is kind of a good thing. Andrew's not the 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 platitude guy, or the you're not really the masculinity guy. You're just you're just all over the place with stuff, and and it's really good because everything you say can be backed up and and verified. You're not just spouting out nonsense. I try not to. I mean, that's one of the things that I have to be acutely aware of. Is I'm a 21 year old guy giving advice to people. You know, you got to be real careful when you do that because most people who do that, they're Anon accounts, you know? And yeah. that's where you get the whole stereotype of like the 17 year old Anon who's giving advice to 30,000 followers. Like you really listening to this guy. Um, and some have legit advice and some are total bullshit, but I've been in the business of talking about men's lifestyle since I was like 18, 17 years old. And so that's always come with the humility of like, if I'm going to say shit at this age, I better not just be pulling things out of my ass. Mm-hmm. because why the hell should someone who's 40 listen to something I have to say? I don't have the experience over them, generally speaking. Sometimes I do. But no, you know, what you are is the poster boy for how being everything that girls like Teresa, Rachel, uh, Spirited Sparrow Rachel, um, yeah, no, no, the, the guy, the, the guys, you know, people in our circle, yeah. you are the poster boy for what they talk about as far as what a man should be. And you are the prime example of the fact that young men can avoid indoctrination, but it's going to take a good upbringing. It's going to take some religion. I used to, I used to, I used to say you don't need, Okay. You don't need morals for religion. You don't need religion to have morals, in other words. But it helps. Because now, now there's something above you that you need to use to hold yourself accountable. Yeah, so, sure. you're, you're, so people are saying, no, we don't need Christianity. No, we don't need uh, a nurturing mother and a masculine father. No, we don't need um, to have all these kind of values and whatnot. Okay, maybe we don't, but look at Andrew because it helps. So here's a prime example that we don't not need it. So for you, that's your thing. You're the poster boy for, or the poster guy, not boy, 
So you're the poster guy, the poster man. That sounds like a serial killer. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> you're the poster guy for lack of indoctrination for bullshit ethos. So yeah. you don't need a liberal arts degree. You can, you can make something of yourself. You can be young and monogamous. You can be faithful to your woman. You can find a good woman. You can, you know, you can not believe in doing the cam girl thing for the sake of making money and stuff like, you know, you can do all that stuff. So that's your thing. Yeah. Well, Congratulations. You, you have a thing. I have a thing. I, I, I kind of touched on it way back. I said, you know, I like to think of myself, maybe I'm the product of the kind of upbringing that all these parents talk about. You know, everybody's like, well, I want to raise my kid. Most of these people that we hang out with are people that struggled. You know, Jeff Putnam was put up for adoption at 12. You know, Adam Lane Smith grew up in insane poverty. Like all these guys had shitty upbringings. They made something of themselves and they're like, well, I don't want my kid to go through that, but I still want my kid to turn out really well. Right. And so I like to say that maybe I'm the product of the kind of upbringing that they want to give their children, you know, and, and kind of leave it at that. I cool definitely agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, you, you don't have to have been through shit to, to coach people. I have, I, I bring it with me. I'm like, look, man, this is, this is how it is. You know, it, it, I'm also a lot older than you are. So hopefully it doesn't happen. You may have some shit coming your way. You may have all kinds of shit sandwiches that people are going to be throwing at you. You just got to pick what kind of olive you want. Oh yeah. Pretty so good. what's the situation like in New York? In terms of what COVID specifically? Yeah. The craziness. It's, um, well, we kind of burned everything to the ground, you know, like Cuomo likes to go around saying, like, well, we handled it so well. It's like, it's, you basically put the house out by just letting it burn to the ground. Mm. You know, like so many people got it and so many of the elderly because he jammed them in nursing homes got it that, yeah, our cases are declining a lot now. We're way lower than most states now. It's like, yeah, because we got hit so hard and in yeah. all the wrong spots too, right? So like, you know, you go, oh, well, Texas and Florida are hotspots now. It's like, yeah, but their per capita death rate isn't anything like ours was because it's all the young people that are getting it out there. So, but, you know, most things are kind of back to normal for the most part. Most businesses are, are open now as long as you throw on, you know, a mask. I'm personally of the mind, like, I'm not going to be the dick who's going to bite you at the door over putting on a mask so I can grab a copy at your place. So I'll throw one on. But I'm not wearing one outside. It's kind of my mm -hmm. rule. Like I see people walking down, some people walking down the sidewalk with them, and I'm like, I'm not doing that. I don't care. Right. I'm not doing that. Right. But everyone's kind of outside of businesses. Everyone's kind of decided their own level of risk regarding whether or not they want to wear them or not. That kind of thing. Um, but most things are back to normal. Restaurants are kind of open outdoors. I don't know the situation of gyms. I think there's some of the few things that are not open. Miami. Yeah. Gym operating in like a speakeasy kind of capacity so like mm -hmm. former members are allowed to come in they just go through the back door it's like just you know leave us alone or not leave us alone but just don't tell anyone you know where right. we are yeah so it's pretty cool because all those people are they're, they're young healthy fit people who are like i'm tired of this shit so i want to train yeah. they've been doing it for a while now it, they've been open that way for a while now so your plan is definitely to leave New York at some point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't want to stick around here forever. It sucks. Yeah. Taxes are awful. Gun laws are awful. Um, Lord knows I don't really, you know, 
And then like the rest of the state that's beautiful, you know, the country is beholden to stupid liberal politics anyway because of all the idiots in the city. Mm. So I might as well just move to a state. You know, if you want to live in the country, you might as well just live in a state that's entirely country. Yeah. Don't deal with that bullshit. So the one problem is I like the weather here overall. Yeah. I mean, it gets hot, but only 90 degrees. We're not talking Mississippi, like 100 degrees, 100% humidity. So I got all these buddies who are like, move down to Texas, move down to Mississippi. I'm like, I'm not mm-hmm. dealing with that bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Colorado appeals to me. I'll take winter over, over summer. I'm one of those people. I feel the same way. I'm, I'm definitely uh, cold-blooded. Because um, this is going to be the first, first time in my life I don't give a shit that people give me. People give me shit about it all the time. They can, they can suck one. I've never voted because I'm not going to be responsible. Just because I'm going to vote Republican doesn't mean I can't be responsible for helping put a corrupt Republican in office. I mean, it, you, you never know what you're putting in office. Yeah, they, they, say, they all say the things they say to get votes. It's what politics is about, getting votes. And uh, it used to be about land. Now it's about votes. So I'll be voting the first time in my life is this coming up term to get this cuck of a governor out of office. And, uh, if he gets reelected, I'm heading to South Carolina because at least South Carolina is a red state. They're wide ass open, bro. No masks. Gyms are open. Yeah. Go do it. Just go, just go do what you want. And, well, uh, that's where my buddy Joe lives. So um, Jeff Biden was down there too. It's, um, that was a funny contrast. So yesterday we, my fiance lost, um, she didn't lose something. I lost in the mail and it's important. So they, in order to send her another one, they're like, we need a police report, all this kind of shit. So we went down to the police station, um, just to file that report. I go in there, basic New York protocol. I throw on my mask and halfway through sitting there in the process, I'm seeing all the cops walk by and literally none of them were wearing masks. So I said, fuck this. I'm taking mine off and I'm going to see if any of them say anything. None of them said shit. Mm-hmm. Not one cop said anything. I'm like, so these guys are just going to like, and so you get people out there who are like, you should be fined if you're not wearing your mask in public. I'm like, the cops don't wear the masks in their own fucking precinct. Yeah. Like, and then we went to the dentist's office because Alondra had a cleaning. And so we go there and they let you keep the pen that you fill out the form with at the beginning. So it's so interesting to see the contrast between the two. And I understand, you know, it's a healthcare field, so they got to be a little more mm-hmm. careful. Literally yep. reading your mouth, totally get that. But it was just funny to see the total contrast between Dentist offices, like every protocol, the seats in the room, like most of them were taped over to maintain that distance and shit. And then you go to the police and none of them are doing anything. They don't care. They're walking mm-hmm. in and out of the building, no mess. They're talking to you, no problem with that one. It was, yeah. it was really funny to see. And this is New York and this is a, that's a town that actually got hit pretty hard, all things considered. So, you know, if that's happening there, like most cops don't give a fuck. One of the people I was training jujitsu with is a state trooper. Like, Mo- funnily enough most of the police don't care about this shit and that's something that's encouraging but then you know you just get the governors the one benefit is all my classes are online this semester which allows me to kind of take on that new full-time role as ops manager so that right. actually made my life easier because my schedule is garbage this semester yeah but um, I needed it. so new york is a mess for the most part. Family's here, which is nice, but if I can move out to Colorado or even Vermont, any place where I can own whatever guns I want, I think I'm going to do that sooner or later. Yeah. And the benefit is everywhere else other than California is cheaper. So there's no like, oh man, the cost of living is going to get so much higher if I move X, Y, or Z. Like everywhere is a step up for us in terms of pricing. 
Mm-hmm. So that's that's one benefit. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've gone over two hours. Part of that's my fault. Uh, a lot of that's my fault. But uh, <laughs> do you, do you read? Do you read at all? I used to be a massive reader as a kid. I feel like I have less time for it now, but I try every now and then. What are you thinking? Put you on the spot again to, to wrap things up. Top five books. Doesn't have to be necessarily for men, just top five books. Yeah, no worries. Um, my favorite book series of all time was the Red Wolf series, funnily enough. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's like anthropomorphic mice and rats and shit like that. And yes. yeah, I wanted to read that. Yeah, it's... Um, I reread one of the books recently and that's, it's my number one, any given one of them is you know, my number one, just because the author is writing for children, but he's not babying them. There's mature themes, there's combat, people die. Like it's just, it's everything I think young kids should grow up on. So that's one. Um, I did like, you know, Harry Potter's up there too, funnily enough. I hate how leftists use it as their like Bible. Oh yeah. But <laughs> someone said it's going to be a, you know, because everyone's, shitting on jk rowling for you know opposed supposedly hating trans people or being transphobic so someone said uh when harry potter becomes the cultural property of the right it's going to be lit <laughs> right so, <laughs> and there's some truth to that so harry potter's up there funnily enough i'm trying to think of three more i haven't even finished finished them but sanction you know roman mcclay blows my mind every every sentence is is eye-opening in that book it's no exaggeration yeah so I've, I've talked to him many a time over the phone and, and through text, just going like, you reach into the heart and soul of men. He's an emotional guy. He's no stoic. And he says so himself. Like, he's the mm-hmm. first person to tell you, like, I'm a highly emotional person. Because, and I think because of that, he reaches into the heart of men. And everything he writes, I don't know how much women relate to the book. I'm sure many do. But I know every guy, almost every guy I talk to who gets it, it's like, it's like he's speaking to me and speaking to unconscious thoughts I had never had before. Mm-hmm. Or never realized that I'd had, but now that I read it, it explains so much. So that's yeah. definitely up there. Um, trying to think of others. We'll go with the Bible. You know, it'll be cliche a little bit. Yeah. You these kids are like, the Bible's born. Like, read the Old Testament. You know, <laughs> that's where the meat is. Yeah, that's where all the that's where all the badass stuff happens, and that's where you start realizing maybe Jesus wasn't a pussy. You know, mm-hmm. getting into those arguments with people on Twitter about the whole like, Jesus just said to be nice, man. It's like, no, it's not. It's not how this was at all. I mean, nope. you know, time, but, but there's so much more depth to it. And uh, let's see if I can come up with a fifth one. Um, and I'll go with, I won't say it's in my top five favorite books, but in terms of male self-improvement, Wild at Heart is one of the most simple to the point. I was going to ask you if you'd read it. Yeah, John Haskins is the one that like told me you have to read it. So I read it. Usually. Every every man. I don't care if you're an yeah. atheist. Read it. Absolutely. It's it's one of those books. It's it's a must read. My brother tore through it, funnily enough, even though he's not usually the one. You know what my brother's listening to right now, funnily, is it's so hard to get through to him about these topics because he and I are total opposites. He's listening to Jordan Peterson's maps of meaning right now. Like, yeah, like the not like the 12 rules for life, like his maps of meaning book that took him like a decade. To, he's listening to that and taking, my brother, I think is, we theorize is mildly on the spectrum. So when he gets okay. into shit, he gets into it. Yeah. So I guess he latched on the maps of meaning and he's been listening through that. Holy shit. Wow, man. Yeah, well, Peterson's an interesting guy. Um, you know, he's very 
he tends to be upfront, I think, about a lot of things, but his views on religion are, I think, one of the one things he tries to keep obscure. I don't know if that's intentional or if it's just he tries to put so much of a psychological spin on it that it just doesn't make sense. Because people tell you, like, ask him, like, do you believe, you know, in Jesus Christ or something like that? And he'll go into the whole, like, well, it depends on you know, how you define Jesus Christ and stuff like that. Just like, mm-hmm. what, what do you mean? And I, like I said, I don't know if that's an intentional thing. He doesn't want to be nailed down or yeah. if honestly what he believes that yeah all but uh yeah. i love i love him his views on religion i haven't explored enough though i do know his biblical lectures from what i've seen have been really interesting some of the stuff he has touched on I was like, wow okay i didn't consider that and it does make some you know measure of sense but he's not one of he's not the first person i go to when when it comes to theology joseph smith's actually yeah. good about that yeah so we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. So for Andrew Loeschner and myself, Jason the Argonaut, y'all take care. We'll see you next time.